This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute, and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com. Empire. Twenty twenty closes in, and so do the football playoffs, where the best of the best better be rested and ready. There wasn't a lot of information out there on. We didn't talk about recovery and sleep, and we talk about rest, but um, there wasn't a lot of the technology that we have today. That's James Collins, the director of football and medical services for the LA Chargers. How the body function at rest may emerge as the primary reason of how the body plays when it matters most. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. James Collins has been working with NFL players for decades, looking for ways to constantly improve performance. Lately, it's those rest periods that have been flagged as primary ways to get the best out of your team on a Sunday afternoon. Plus, Catherine Petreca, the GM of the Studio Innovation Team at New Balance, will join us to discuss design, functionality, and footwear for the modern athlete. But let's stick with the NFL playoffs first, which begin right after the turn of the new year. And let's focus in on the field where some of the future would be right now for some modern tech to fix all those missed calls. The NFL has a problem with technology. It seems that the more they use it, the more calls they get wrong. But there is one way that they could implement it and potentially get it right every time. Andrew Beaton from the Wall Street Journal joins us now. He wrote a piece called The Longest Yard in Football. Hey, Andrew, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. You know, down in distance, I don't understand why they have to bring chains out any longer. Do you? No, but it's this really fascinating thing where we look at it, and on every single play, we don't really give it much thought because on so many plays, it doesn't matter precisely where they spot the ball or how exactly far away the team is from first down but then there are certain plays where we look at it and see wait it just seems pretty haphazard and it could actually make a huge difference when it comes to these critical situations so what are they looking to potentially change well one of the things that they can look at now is more from the coaching strategy side and with the tracking technology that they have both in the players jerseys and the balls we can really actually see how far the ball is from the first down marker. And instead of this idea that the game has always been characterized in yards, fourth and one, fourth and two, third and one, third and two. But within those subsections, 
there can be huge differences. And one of the fascinating things is that for the first time, this tracking technology lets us know how critical these differences are. And, you know, one of the big things in football strategy in recent years has been quants arguing that teams should go for it more on fourth down. And in broad strokes, this is true. But it turns out there's actually huge differences between two plays that could be marked as fourth and one. For example, if you're fourth and inches away, which we can actually now measure with this new technology, you actually have a radically different chance of getting the first down versus if you're actually fourth and a long yard away, which can actually be closer to two yards. So it, it makes for some fascinating granular granular analysis of something we can never really look at with that detail before. Uh, so, so give me a sense of that. What kind of numbers do you have on that, the difference between fourth and literally a few inches and fourth and literally a yard? Well, what's fascinating is it can be even longer than a yard and still be characterized fourth and a yard. It can be pretty much almost two yards away and still counted as fourth and one. So if you're at fourth and just inches over the last couple of years, teams, have, when they've gone for it in those inches scenarios, they've gone for it 82% of the time. But on the fourth and long ones, just 55%, which might not sound like a huge difference, but it's actually massive when you're, you're going into these complex calculations of win probability and are we better trying to pin the other team on the other side of the field with a punt or better taking the risk and going for it. That's a huge difference and can affect the most critical plays in the game. Um, the other part of this is, is literally marking the ball correctly, which uh, I'm with you. They have all this tracking technology. It should be easily implemented and take some of the human element out of it. And yet I do wonder if the technology is caught up with forward progress and the exact location of where the ball would be when the play was whistled dead. Yeah, and I think that's definitely the next frontier in this regard. But one of the big questions that we have with technology in all of sports is and replay review and inserting these types of ideas is, is there a way to do this seamlessly so that it doesn't interrupt the play and the flow of the game? Because I think we can really look at any football Sunday at this point and see the number of replay reviews and those types of things and feel that it's sometimes really interrupting the action. Whereas you've seen sports like, say, tennis that have those those cams that they call for review and then 10 seconds later the crowd is clap, 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 and then they have a quick, immediate, definitive answer. Where And you can even take it the next step to a sport like baseball where there's been a push to implement robo-umpires and say you can even see how that could be done fairly seamlessly because those are data points that are immediately relayed to viewers on television or if you're following it online, so it stands to reason that it could be related to an umpire standing behind home plate just as quickly. So I think the question for the NFL is, is now that they're starting to have this data, is there a way to mark the ball on every single play that is not just precise, but efficient? Because one thing we know is that these sports leagues are loath to extend the length of their games. They know viewers have short attention spans and they don't want to turn a three-hour product into a three-hour, 15-minute product. You know, I, I think, like, the bottom line, too, is for the NFL, I, I, some of these other sports seem open to all of this stuff because it has been seamless, and a lot of the technological advances for the NFL have caused variances in rules that have become confusing. So I, I wonder if, in researching this, that you got any sense that the NFL is just reluctant to do anything because of all the chaos that has occurred over replays. 
Well, I think one of the things to think about is that this tracking technology is extremely new. It's really just been around for a few years now. So I think one of the interesting things to watch is going forward how they can implement this tracking technology into the rules because the replays have been a really cautionary tale in that the more you review, sure, you might get a couple more calls right, but also we see acrimony in every single game now over, say, the new rule this year where pass interference is now constantly being reviewed but never being overturned, so people just want to throw their hot dogs on the field in disgust because they don't feel like it's executing the job properly. But I think this is actually a real data dive in that they have chips that are definitively measuring something, but it's new. And so it's figuring out, is there a way to translate this onto the field in a way that the NFL has never really done before? And I think if you want to talk about baby steps, maybe there's a way to do this with the ball crossing the goal line first because those are the most critical of these plays. Is there a way to track whether the ball actually crossed that plane? Because there's so many plays where we see a guy's knee go down and we're looking at the sideline cam and saying, did the ball cross the plane? Did it break the plane? So maybe that could be a starting point for looking at and saying, all right, is there a better way to do this instead of just having a couple guys in black and white striped shirts across the field saying, eh, I think he got in. Yes, is there a better way? That's the big question. Andrew Beaton from the Wall Street Journal. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Up next, James Collins from the LA Chargers on recharging for peak performance. This is the Future Sport Podcast. Our guest this week is James Collins. He is the president of Professional Football Athletic Trainers Society and the director of football and medical services for the Los Angeles Chargers. Hey, James, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Uh, Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. And we appreciate you doing this in season. I know how busy you guys are, especially this time of year as we head into Thanksgiving. So thanks again for doing that. And you are brought to us uh, thanks in part to the partnership that the NFL has with Sleep Number. And I know you've been doing... A lot of work with them specifically as sleep has become a major part of recovery, right, for NFL players? Right. Correct. Correct. Major part. It's uh, it's an uh, important aspect of uh, being able to prepare yourself for each game, each week, uh, and uh, take that throughout the season. Uh, if a player can get his body to react the same each week, uh, to enhance his uh, performance and recovery. Um, we found out that uh, the sleep plays a major role in that, as well as rest, rehabilitation if you need it, or uh, your weightlifting and your nutrition. So everything has a part in uh, a player being ready to play Sunday or Monday or Thursday night. What are you seeing biomechanically, medically, with a player who gets a proper amount of sleep? Well, I think you see biomechanically that his body reacts the way that uh, he wants it to. Uh, he's able to recover faster. Uh, you can see in the practices that uh, he has the energy needed to uh, sustain uh, his performance level in practice, uh, not just the game, but practice as well. And I think that's one of the keys because preparation, as we know, for anything is the key to being successful in whatever you do. 
So for our players, if he can prepare properly because his body is reacting the way he wants on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday's practice, then uh, it can pretty much assure him that he'll be prepared for the game ahead for that week. Uh, can you get a bunch of 22- to 30-year-olds to, to do that? Uh, yeah, I think you you find out uh, the majority of uh, – <clears throat> Of the of the players in that age group, uh, the you know, the, the bottom line is they want to play football and they want to be good at it and they want to be successful. So I think the more education that we give them on how to prepare to play an NFL football game, the better off we are and they are and they will listen. But you have to feed them good information and get them to understand how their body functions. Um, a lot of the the big programs around the country, uh, colleges I'm speaking of, you know, they educate these guys pretty well. And so when they get to us, um, they've got somewhat of a head start on a lot of these areas. And so we just try to enhance that even more. And by doing that, um, it feeds into their um, <clears throat> ability to to want to learn more and to follow the instructions that are giving whether it's through uh, sleep information, recovery information, nutrition, weightlifting, uh, rehabilitation, uh, it all plays a role in it. So uh, they've been uh, they've been pretty good to you know soak it all in and uh, feel that it'll help them uh, have a long career. You have been with the Chargers since the mid 1980s. Um, I am curious with that background, not just sleep in itself, but that along with all of these other new methods that we're talking about, is this old to you? Have you been repeating this message for years, or are some of these discoveries in terms of sleep, diet, all these things, are they new for for players and yourself as well? Well, it's new to a degree for me as well. Uh, You know, back in the 80s when I first started, um, there wasn't a lot of information out there on, we didn't talk about recovery and sleep, and we talk about rest. But um, there wasn't a lot of the technology that we have today, which has helped us uh, gain a lot of information, which we were able to give back to the player. But, you know, we've added a lot of different things over the years. I mean, when I first came in, the, the popular thing back then was the arthroscope for players that had surgeries, and we could get them back two or three weeks after a knee scope. And now we've gone into a lot of the, the other technology with GPS, with um, uh, the different uh, companies that uh, the teams use around to, I guess you hear a lot of now about the loads and yeah. um, how much activity the players are doing in practice and games and trying to calculate how much he should be doing or uh, cut back so he doesn't get injuries uh, and fatigue and that type of thing. But then, you know, as well, along came the, you know, uh, we talk about sleep and rest. And now with uh, Sleep Number, the technology that they have put into beds where players can get this feedback, and we know that this this millennial of players, um, you know, they like to be on, they're on their cell phone all the time. So the fact that we can put a lot of this information on their cell phone or we can put information on their surfaces that they have, which is now their playbook, it's not that big three-ring binder anymore. All this stuff can be put on their surface, which they can see, you know, just by pushing a button. 
So with Sleep Number, it's been really great to have them develop a technology where the player has an app on his phone and he can pull that up every day or get a notification or an alert that here, this is what happened to you last night. This is the sleep that you got. You may want to make this adjustment or that adjustment. And those things enhances the player's ability to perform and to prolong his career. Uh, I want to ask you about load management since you brought that up. I, I don't know how it applies in the NFL. And, and I'm curious your position on that because the game's there's so few of them that they matter so much. I can't imagine that they, somebody like Philip Rivers or Keenan Allen could just take a week off without an injury to cite to force them not to be able to play when in the NBA, largely there are some moments there during the course of the regular season that the team can take a calculated risk with a star player not playing that day. Um, what does load management mean in the NFL? Is it, is it altered the way teams practice? Well, it's not necessarily altered the way teams practice, at least on – you know, with our team, it's more of an individual thing, um, especially when you talk about our skill guys that uh, with the timing that they need to have with the with the quarterback, it's more of the number of reps that they're getting in practice and the type of reps, because sometimes you don't take into account that a wide receiver or a running back may be on special teams as well. So, you know, he's getting those loads as well. So I think we're still fine-tuning the use of this whole load management thing uh, just to make sure that the player can sustain a high level of performance throughout the season. It's the same with weightlifting over the years. You know, we start out in training camp lifting one way, but by the end of the season, we're lifting a different way because of the grind of the season and, uh, and the hits that players are taking and the physical nature of the game that we play. We have to adjust the the weight training as well so that we don't add to the breaking down of his body so the load management still is falls into that area as well and so i think it's we're still learning about it and we're still learning how to use it because one of the things throughout a season that really affects a lot of teams is whether or not we get uh, we can uh, minimize the number of soft tissue injuries and sometimes hamstring strains or groin strains quad strains they may come from fatigue not necessarily from the activity the player was doing or making a cut or something like that. So if we can minimize those um, those soft tissue injuries, you know, that can prevent us from losing a wide receiver for three to four weeks. Um, you soft would... tissue is something, something that we could possibly have prevented or minimized. Um, you talked about what the bed is doing, the sleep number bed, which is, is taking biometrics for you and, I guess, giving you that information. I wonder about other wearable technologies. Um, where do you see that going in terms of training for NFL players? Do you, do you envision a day where there's some kind of wearable technology literally on the player in-game? Um, yes. I mean, we have somewhat of that now because players wear a, um, a system for the game so we can, I don't know if you've seen the NFL games and sometimes on a the scoreboard, they'll put the speed that the player was, has run yeah. during the game. So players have that on now just to track certain specifics would be the speed and mostly that's what they put up. It kind of helps the fan get an idea of the speed of the game and how fast the player is running. But there's probably going to be something down the road where we can maybe grab some more information out of what's going on with the player um, down the road. So, um, yeah, I, I see 
that happening. I can't be specific about what it might be, but I think it'll be something that can give us more information to help us throughout the week to manage the player's workload, to manage his workouts, uh, to manage his recovery. But I think we can't lose sight of the fact that in order to play professional football or any sport, you still need to work at a high level and train at a high level in order to play at a high level. We can't take that away from the player uh, and expect to have a performance that the fans want to see. We can't go away from that. Uh, In that line, obviously you can't speak for coaches here, but like, do you envision virtual training becoming more commonplace for NFL teams to avoid some of the load that goes with practicing as to as an NFL player? Um, I, <laughs> you know, it's probably possible. I don't see how it can help us because, see, on my side, I'm more concerned about the injuries that we get. And I think over after 30-some years of being around football, I think the one thing that we have to not forget is that in order to prepare to play a professional football game, you have to go through a certain level of uh, practice and uh, a certain level of uh, fitness in order to uh, get your body ready to play in a professional football game. It's probably unlike any other sport there is. And I think if we get too far away from doing the activities that are needed to perform in a professional football game, then I think we're setting ourselves up for more injuries uh, than we already have. And um, as much as we've tried to prevent a lot of injuries through rule changes and recovery and things like that, we still have a significant amount of injuries, but we can minimize those by making sure the players are prepared physically as well as mentally to play the game. Um, I'll leave you with this since we've kind of talked about all these different things and some of the stuff that you've implemented and you've even said some of it is is still kind of new to you, even having been in the practice and with an NFL team for as long as you have been. Um, What have you seen tangibly different towards the end of years? Have have you seen an improvement, which I guess would mean less injuries to a team? And and can you kind of describe what's happened here over the last few years that, that you think has been successful? Well, I think what's been successful is um, the implement of more uh, recovery-type modalities. Uh, I think that's really helped a lot of teams, and coaches are well aware that in order to play your best, as they always say, play your best toward the end of the season so that you can either be ready for the playoffs or get into the playoffs, I think the recovery part of it has played a major role in us minimizing the number of injuries that we get in the latter part of the season. And coaches have been really good at, once we get through the halfway point, maybe backing off, taking some reps off of practice, um, giving guys more time to recover. Um, The athletic trainers implementing more recovery program, whether it be through pneumatic devices such as Normatec and some other companies that we use for um, – for recovery, um, massage therapists, acupuncturists, uh, chiropractors, all those play a role in the player's recovery. And then when you bring in sleep number, as far as the rest part goes, you know, the player gets in pretty early in the morning. 
and he goes through meetings and practice and recovery and rehab and weightlifting and all that, if he can go home and his nutrition is at a high level and he can uh, recover through his re- during his rest period on a bed such as what Sleep Number has produced, then I think we are... I think that's why we see uh, maybe a lower level of uh, injuries and a higher level of performance as we get into the playoff area. The month of December is one of the critical times as we go into um, the playoff scene in uh, January. James Collins is the president of the Professional Football Athletic Trainer Society and is the director of football medical services with the Los Angeles Chargers. Thank you, James. Thank you. I appreciate it. Up next, Katherine Petreka and her team at New Balance, constantly looking for innovative ways to help you look and feel your best when wearing their shoes. This is the Future Sport Podcast. So let's take a minute here to thank our friends at 3Advance. These guys are ranked one of the nation's top app developers, but that's not all. They've helped grow a bunch of sports tech startups like Team Builder, T-Box Tour, and In-Game Fantasy. But they're also experts in user experience, cloud APIs, and artificial intelligence. So if you're looking for a dev partner to bring your future sport tech to life, look these guys up. Go to 3advance.com. They're the team to make it happen. At Advance, you will. That's the number 3advance.com. And tell them Future Sport sent you. The innovation in athletic shoes and apparel, it's been happening at hyperspeed and the competition to make the latest and the greatest in terms of style and performance, it's been wildly interesting. Catherine Petreka is the general manager of the studio innovation team at New Balance and she joins us now. Hey Catherine, how are you? Great, Bram. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you too. Could you kind of describe what your role is with New Balance? Sure. Um, I work with a group of very talented designers, developers, and engineers to uh, make products that improve the performance and experience of athletes. So let's talk about some of that innovation. Um, Fuel cell technology, what, what does that mean? Yeah, fuel cell is the technology family that we've created around products designed for speed. Um, and there's, uh, there's some tiers to what that means depending on, you know, what sport you're in or what level that you're out, uh, you're at, but it's really focused on, um, increasing, uh, the speed of, uh, of athletes across a number of different sports and different, um, categories even within running. Can you kind of describe how it works? How does it make people go faster? Sure, sure. Um, I'll give you, for instance, in the, a shoe that we released recently, the Fuel Cell 5280. Um, that was designed very specifically uh, for athletes running uh, shorter distance, sort of a short to mid-distance, like uh, it's designed specifically for the mile uh, on the road. And so we take all of uh, our pinnacle components, that we have available to us to deliver speed, and there are a few things that we think are are central to that, um, including lightweight, high-rebound foams, 
carbon fiber plates, um, and then a, bio, a, a setup for the shoe that matches the biomechanics of the runners involved in that race. Um, and we pack as much of that into that product um, as we can, and we work with those, those runners over the course of development of that shoe uh, to really make it as specific and meaningful to, to that race. Um, so at, at the premium level and at the high end, um, a Fuel Cell 5280 is designed for, for speed for elite athletes um, in a very specific setting. That's interesting because you would think that all runners, regardless of the distance, marathon, sprinters, whatever, they just want to go faster. Um, why does the technology fit specifically for certain distances? Yeah, I mean, the, um, the environment and the biomechanics. Um, so for that product in particular, you're looking at something that's, um, you know, normally when our runners are going this fast, they're on the track. Uh, so a road mile is a very, a very different surface um, than what they're experiencing on the track, uh, but their biomechanics are similar. Um, they're also running only straight um, in a mile, like the, the Fifth Avenue mile. It's, it's a, a very straight um, shot race versus on the track where they're constantly turning left um, for the course of their race. So, uh, you know, in that uh, in that instance, you're looking you know looking very specifically at the surface um, and the way that race is run versus something they might experience on the track. How about triple cell? Can you explain what that is? Yes, uh, triple cell is the technology platform that we are developing that's made specifically with 3D printing. And how are you guys using 3D printing? We've heard others that are that are dipping into this as well. How is New Balance looking at this technology? Yeah, we're really looking at the performance opportunity first. Um, you know, it's it's sort of a rare moment when something like this uh, comes into an industry where you've been you know we've been using a, a fairly tight set of materials. Um, that are designed in a, a pretty traditional way um, that you have uh, the opportunity to work with a technology that not only opens up uh, a whole new avenue in terms of the materials, but also the design um, and the structures and what you're putting in your foot. So it, it's, it's like designing an entirely new engine um, to put under your foot. Let me talk about the style just for a moment. Obviously, the performance seems to be more paramount to everything, but in terms of the style, this feels like it opens the door to the Wild West. Um, you guys obviously have a, a brand to protect here as well. Uh, how do you kind of balance the idea of all these different ideas stylistically for your shoes and at the same time maintain what the look is of New Balance? Yeah, I think uh, that's a good question. You know, we have uh, a very well-run, very talented design group um, that is not only managing all of these collections, so fresh foam, fuel cell, triple cell, um, managing them individually, but there's a lot of collaboration um, from season to season, from year to year between those, the groups who own um, the visual of those collections uh, and making sure that we stay consistent. Um, so it, it's we have a, a, a very very large, um, really cohesive, well-run design department at New Balance. Um, I will say with Triple Cell, it, it's an entirely new way of designing. It's not uh, you know those 3D structures um, have to be designed 
parametrically or computationally. They, they're not designed with illustrators the way that 95% of our shoes are, are, are made and designed now. So um, it's an entirely different skill set. And so that's, uh, that's one of our challenges is to bring that, bring that visual and bring that design thinking um, close to the brand, but also, you know, have it show up in other areas and translate it into our more traditional design process and more traditional products. Like, uh, clearly, like, the options are, are opening up here. Um, yeah. what, do consu- what do consumers tell you? What do they want in athletic shoes now? Yeah, consumers have changed. It, the landscape's changed. You know, if we think even specifically about runners, um, what we saw in the past were really, you know, runners would kind of make their selection. I run in this type of shoe. Um, and they would potentially buy a couple of pairs of that shoe and, and rotate that specific model. Um, I think with, you know, over the last five to seven years, that that paradigm has really broken up that we're seeing runners now operating with more what we call a quiver of shoes. So they're really getting more specific to the type of training they're doing, to the type of race that they're um, approaching, or the type of run they're doing that day. Then they'll have you know five to ten pair of shoes that they're rotating through and using for different different purposes. Is that difficult to keep up with to, tr- to when it gets that specific with your customers? Yeah, I think ha- how we help them manage that selection and those models. Um, but I, I do think it's exciting, and, and there have been some advancements that make people uh, you know, really understand that, that uh, it is equipment, um, and you know, you, you're, you're going to have better performance um, if you're selecting the right equipment and the right tool for the job. Um, so you know, we've always made that range of products. Um, you know, we have for every every competitive sport, um, running or any of the field of play sports that we're involved with, uh, you know, we offer a range of shoes for for people's preference um, and people's biomechanics and style of play. And I think what's what's turning on for people and athletes in their mind is, um, you know, I'm not. It's not a one note uh, uh, equipment story for me. I, I really need a, a tool set. Um, that I can and pick from and, and have the right the right shoe at the right moment. Um, this might not be a direct parallel, but we, we met with a bunch of people with NASCAR recently, and there's a ton of innovation, as you might imagine, in that sport with engine technology and style and all these aerodynamics that they're working on to make the cars perform better. And But one of the things they're toggling with is their customers don't literally see this stuff or understand it. And they're spending a lot of money to have an arms race with one another, but the fans are just looking for entertainment. Um, I, I would assume that yours is different here because a runner would feel the performance difference literally in the shoe. But I wonder, as far as like a mass audience goes, do you run into this toggling between how much do we spend on innovation if the customer doesn't even really notice how we made the shoe better? Sure. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um you know, we, we've done some deeper consumer profiling recently that um, we have, we identified uh, through a project really four levels of um, 
consumer mindset, athlete mindset, um, in in relation to their their gear, um, and it goes all the way from what we call the the aware athlete um, to the deep thinker, you know. And the the aware athlete is really they're they're the person who's going to pick the one shoe. They're going to rely a lot on other people's recommendations, um, but they're going to find one solution that works for them. They're not going to put that much time and effort into finding that solution. Um, and then all the way to the deep thinker, who is somebody who is really um, understands the features um, as they relate to their performance and the benefit for them. Um, they're going to spend time, you know, they're looking at their own data. They may be matching their data to um, to their products and trying to understand where their personal um, performance improvement lies uh, with their equipment. Um, so we definitely see that. You know, I think the uh, many times in our innovation efforts, um, we are working for our, our elite athletes. Um, and I think that helps us starting, you know, if, if our work really is, it works for that tip of the spear, um, most competitive elite athlete, uh, then I think we can use use the rest of um, the line to translate that down into products that are, are appropriate for the, the consumer that's really not going to invest as much time um, and effort and attention. I wonder if we're in a paradigm shift, and this is me on the outside looking at it going, you know, athletic shoes often were linked to either athletes or brands. There was a fashion aspect to it of wearing these particular shoes with whatever brand it was. And it sounds like what we're talking about is the performance has taken over. Um, that the association of the actual performance of the shoe is above and beyond which person is actually wearing them. Um, has that happened? Do, have you seen that shift? Yeah, I think within sports, um, you know, well, I'll use running as an example again, uh, because what we're moving into now with running is where uh, a situation where big data is starting to come into play and people, you know, through, say, Strava, data with people tracking um, their all of their runs and their races and in one spot and um, even noting what equipment they're using um, we're moving into an era where we're going to be able to say you know be able to point to products that are provably superior um, and it won't just be from you know the lab of a particular brand or a professional player um, giving their subjective feedback um, or, or, you know, bias feedback um, on behalf of a brand. Uh, I think we're moving into an era where we're 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 going to be able to separate the, the wheat from the chaff with some real objective data um, behind it. Yeah, the arms race is changing. It's very it's very interesting what you guys are working yeah. on and what you're doing. Uh, Catherine Petreca is the general manager of the studio innovation team at New Balance. Thank you, Catherine. Yeah, thank you. That will do it for us this week. Remember, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. 
So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com.